630 Chad presents The Elks This Week. A close-up look at the Elks and the Canadian Football League. Every week, we take you inside the game. From the voice of the Edmonton Elks, 630 Chad. Here's Morley Scott. Hello, football fans, and welcome to the show for this week. Our featured guest is going to be Elks Offensive Coordinator Jarius Jackson. I caught up with him at his off-season home in Houston to talk all things offense. McLeod Bethel-Thompson and how he could change the offensive playbook, the future of Trey Ford, and we'll even get his Super Bowl pick. All that coming up, but first, the news of the week from the Elks, and that is player signings at this time of year. Among the signings this week, D-lineman Joseph Jackson, defensive back Malik Jones, and running back Shawu Olanilua. Olani Lua played a couple of games for the Dallas Cowboys in 2020. He spent 2023 in the XFL. Jackson was a Cowboys draft pick in 2019, played five games in Dallas, then moved on to Cleveland where he played 15 more. He was in Cleveland while Elks coach and GM Chris Jones was part of the Browns organization. Malik Jones also has a Cleveland connection, but not with the Browns. He's coming out of Delta State University, located in Cleveland. Now, the stat line that jumped out to me about him, seven interceptions, 20 knockdowns in 20 games over two seasons, throwing five tackles for a loss, and he seems to be a guy who is often around the football. Also signing this week, a running back, Jawan Howell out of Alabama State, and receiver Malik Flowers, who was on the Elks PR for a couple of weeks late last season. As players come, that means players have to go. Backup running back Shannon Brooks has been released. He had 175 yards and 36 carries last year. Played all 18 games, but most of his time came on special teams. Also released Canadian defensive lineman Olivier Charles-Pierre, who played the final three games of the year. Okay, let's get to it with Jarius Jackson, Elks offensive coordinator who has spent the offseason so far catching up with family, diving into the new playbook, and watching a lot of football. Yeah, definitely. You know, we like to take this time and do a little research, you know, watching other teams, um, you know, watching some college and NFL and, uh, you know, grasping some new ideas and what's the newest and latest and greatest things that, that can help uh, hopefully get our guys in good situations throughout the season. And we try to implement some of those things, uh, not totally revamping, you know, the entire system per se, but uh, definitely want to add some new wrinkles in the offseason. And so it never really stops. You know what I mean? You're, you're always, uh, your mind's always going. You know, you're watching football during this time of year. So, uh, you know, I like to say from that standpoint, that allows me to watch football in pieces that I say I'm working. Uh, I was going to ask you later, but since you brought it up, let me ask you about watching the NFL games. Uh, how, what's your eye like when you watch it? How much do you watch it as a fan? And how much do you watch it as an offensive coordinator? And are you taking a lot of notes during these games? Yeah, I try to watch it as a fan, but at the same time, um, you know, it's just your, your, your coach's eye is always there. I mean, you're always seeing, like, different schemes, whether it's run game or pass, uh, that offenses are doing. Um, you know, you kind of stay in tune with some of the, the top offenses, like, the you know, the guys that are there, the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore and, of course, uh, San Francisco and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, it's uh, you see some of the plays, some of the things that we do, and the CFL are starting to show even more down here. You see the motions that Miami's doing where they're taking Tyreek inside and sending him out fast or, but they can only move one guy where we can move, you know, all of our guys. So, uh, but at the same time, I think it comes down to the schematics of things where uh, you get different ideas from watching different teams. Yeah, a lot of things we see in the NFL and that they talk about, uh, we usually see in the CFL years beforehand, right? 
Oh, no question. Uh, some of those things I see, I'm oh my God, we've been doing that since I've been a part of CFL in 04. And, you know, you would see Seattle that would uh, more so the, than any other team that I recognize that uh, a little bit of the CFL game and things that they would do schematically. All right. Uh, your offense is going to look a little different this year uh, because of a change of quarterback. Um, McLeod mm-hmm. Bethel-Thompson comes in. You mentioned about you're not going to make a lot of big changes. How much do you change mm-hmm. your your focus and your and your uh, your thoughts uh, when you switch from a guy like Trey, who is obviously so mobile and such a great athlete, to a guy like mm-hmm. McLeod, who is more in the pocket, more stationary, and uh, obviously very accurate. How much does that change the way you want to plan the offense? Well, a little change some for sure. I mean, just like when when Trey was in there and he was a starter, I tried to do things that um, you know he did well and some of his strong suits and. Uh, that I, that idealistic won't change with, with McLeod, you know, we'll try to definitely, uh, uh, create it to where, you know, it definitely, uh, shows off his arm. And I mean, the, the guy can, can throw from off platform. He can throw on the move, you know, uh, I just think he's a more polished guy at his age. You know, he's been there and done that. He's, he's led teams to the great cup and, you know, he's been a part of great cup team. I want to say in 17 in Toronto. So, um, you know, I, I just think he's a veteran guy that, you know, whatever we come up with, and again, having familiarity with him as well, right? So I feel like what we come up with offensively is definitely going to uh, cater to his strong suits. A, a proven starter, a proven winner, a guy who's been to the Great Cup. How much does that excite you to get the opportunity to work with him? Uh, it's big time. Uh, I just think uh, for me more than anything, uh, it's about the person. I think he's a great dude, high-character guy. Um, and secondly, he's a leader, right? Like, I think he's a leader of men and, you know, he'll definitely take the, the offense and, and, and do all the things necessary in order for us to be successful, making sure guys are, are, are studying and disciplined and, 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 you know, showing up to walkthroughs and things of that nature. Right. So, uh, from that standpoint, more than anything I love about him most is that he's, he's a natural born leader. We've talked to him the last couple of weeks on the show. Uh, you're listening to the Elks this week here on 630 Ched. Uh, Elks offensive coordinator uh, Jerry's Jackson, our guest this week. Uh, he mentioned uh, in the last couple of weeks that he was excited to, to really dive in with you and to kind of grasp the offense that you want to run. And, and uh, have those talks started yet? How early do you get on the Zoom or, or whatever and have talks with him about how you want to run the offense this year? Well, it'll be later on that we get started meeting with our players and having our voluntary uh, Zoom meetings, right, as far as offensively. Um, you know, we still meeting, start meeting as a staff and, uh, you know, coming up with different things and making tweaks from last season, just like we're talking about as far as creating the playbook and things of that nature. So, um, you know, some of it he'll f- have familiarity with. And, you know, we've already had conversations about, you know, there were certain plays that I know he likes that I haven't had familiarity with. So uh, he'll be teaching me some of those plays. And so, um, you know, it's about what our, what, what, what he can get out there and execute. Right. So it's not about what I like per se, from a standpoint of, if, if, again, I think I've said before, if, if I like a play, but the player can't go out there and execute it, you know, why am I calling that play? So uh, I definitely, like I said before, not to be repetitive, but you know, I want to do things that, that he can go out and execute and do well and get the offense moving. What's his biggest attribute, maybe the one thing that people are going to notice differently about the way he operates and, and that you're kind of excited about? I think just the way he takes command. Uh, I think it, it shows in his play. It shows when uh, you can see him out there orchestrating on the field. Uh, you know, I had, um, you know, some time with him in Toronto as well um, in, in 21. Um, so I think the biggest thing is you'll see um, how he orchestrates when he's on the field and playing the quarterback position. 
More from Jarius Jackson after the break and his thoughts on how signing MBT could be very beneficial to Trey Ford. That when we return to the Elks this week on 630 Chet. Now, more football talk on the Elks this week. Here's Morley Scott on the voice of the Edmonton Elks, 630 Chad. We are back, and again, we thank Elks offensive coordinator Jarius Jackson for his time on the show this week. Before the break, we talked to Jarius about McLeod Bethel-Thompson, and of course, the investment the Elks made in him, he will take over as QB1. But the team is not forgetting about Trey Ford, who of course started the final 10 games in 2023. Had some success, also had some tough times. Uh, back when Bethel-Thompson was signed, Elks GM and coach Chris Jones talked about Ford and how he is still very much in the plan. Trey's future is, is so bright. I mean, he's a guy that uh, he's he's probably the most dynamic quarterback as far as athletically in the league, uh, if if not in all of football. I mean, he's a dynamic, dynamic athlete, and now it's just a matter of him, uh, you know, growing into that position. And uh, I mean, he can do some things physically that that a lot of people can't do. So I think uh, him being around McLeod, I think they're going to be very good for one another. The OC agrees, and Jackson believes that having McLeod Bethel-Thompson as a teammate will be very beneficial for Trey Ford. I think it's definitely a, a, a great situation for Trey. Uh, yeah, disappointing. I mean, I've been there and done that, understand how it can be disappointing, but at the same time, I think it will help his career more than it will hurt it. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow, like you say, when you go from playing to all of a sudden now you're, quote-unquote, the backup, and – but we know how this league is. You know, you're going to need, you know, all the guys on the roster at some point in time. I mean, that's re- that's the reason Trey was able to get an opportunity as fast as he got his opportunity, right? But, um, you know, I just think McLeod brings a wealth of experience that he can also uh, project on the Trey, and I think he can learn a lot from McLeod. So, again, I think it's going to enhance his career more than anything. Have you talked with Trey much yet, or do you let that sit for now? I'll just let it sit for now. You know what I mean? I know him and McLeod have, have had a great conversations about it. And I think that's the relationship more than anything is with his peer is, is, you know, having those guys understanding that it's a competition, but at the same time, you know, uh, we both can go in this with a positive attitude and get the most out of it as approach, as opposed to approaching it as a negative. Do you see an offense that maybe will have packages for Trey and his skill set to come in once in a while and play? Maybe. I mean, I don't really want to talk about that and, and give <laughs> give people a leg up, right? That's just something that, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. All right. I look forward to that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your receivers. Uh, the receiving court changes a bit, especially with the addition of, uh, of Curly Gittins Jr. Another guy who you worked with in Toronto. Tell me your thoughts on, on Curly Gittins Jr. and how he'll make this team better. Again, another, another great guy, high character guy, um, you know, gives it his all and everything he does. Uh, loves getting in there and doing the dirty work as far as the blocking. You know, it's not all about uh, catching balls for Curly and uh, just the attitude that he brings. Again, another guy that can be a leader, uh, not only in the locker room, but in the community as well. And, um, you know, couldn't be more excited to have Curly in the fold with us. Talk to McLeod about that. He's also excited, too, to reunite with them. Also excited to work with Gino Lewis, who, you know, we all know how great Gino is and what he can do. Do you have to advise an offense that gets him the ball more this year? I mean, he had his – I know he missed six games, but he had the fewest mm-hmm. targets, uh, fewest receptions, fewest yards he's had since his first year in the CFL. Do we right. got to see an offense that maybe takes advantage of him more? Yeah, we definitely got to take advantage of his skill set. I mean, you know, 
Uh, there's not many guys that can compete with the air up there as far as how high Gino can get, uh, uh, you know, on those go balls and whatnot, right? But, you know, his skill set, uh, he's got more in his toolbox toolbox than just that. I think, uh, like I said, with having a dynamic of McLeod there, a guy that's known as being, being able to be accurate and, and spread the ball around, um, you know, I think that's going to be a good thing for Gino as well. I think, uh, you know, to give him an opportunity definitely to catch more balls this year for sure. And uh, Kyron Moore coming back as well, looking for Gavin Cobb to develop. Uh, Kevin Brown in the backfield. The weapons are there for you. Correct. The weapons are all over the field. So, to me, I don't think we have to do anything, um, you know, elaborate or extravagant. I think it's just all about putting the ball in our playmakers' hands. Tell me about your process as a, as a as an OC now. You uh, you were in Edmonton. Your quarterbacks coach first time around in Edmonton. Uh, then you went on. You became an offensive coordinator in BC, I believe, for the for the first time, and then in Toronto, and now here as well. What uh, what's changed with you now? What have you learned about being an OC that you put into play coming up for this season? And I think just what I kind of touched on just then. You know, it doesn't have to be elaborate. Like I don't have to go out here and try to reinvent the wheel. We've got enough playmakers, um, you know, on the field in order to uh, have a successful offense. Like I said before, it's just all about getting those guys the ball. I mean, of course, uh, putting those guys in great situation with play calling as well, um, you know, depending on whatever the situation is, also uh, is going to help as well. But at the same time, players win games. Coaches, we don't win games, right? So it's just all about putting those guys in the right position. I think uh, – you know, my first time around, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes, right? As far as when I was in BC, I think we did some good things, but at the same time, I think I've learned from my mistakes as far as uh, schematics sometimes of going too deep or doing things that, you know, were, were confusing to the players. And like I said, you know, I think I've learned from the standpoint of if it's confusing for them, don't run it. You know what I mean? I don't care if we end up running the same play over and over if we're successful at it and they know what to go with the ball and how to execute the play. Yeah, that's that seems to be the key. You put the ball in the hands of the playmakers, and even if it's something you do all the time, some guys, even if you know it's coming, they can't be stopped, right? They still have to stop it. I mean, I think sometimes we can give the defense too much respect, and, uh, you know, even if they have the right coverage call, sometimes you're still going through your progression and getting the ball to the right guy. Sometimes they mess up or they fall off or fall down or somebody blows an assignment in the coverage. So, um, you know, again, like you, you can't you can't give them too much credit. You just got to go out and run your offense. Talk about your approach. I know a lot of it, this is out of your hands, but this season, I mean, the way the, the franchise says, things that have happened to this franchise in the last four or five years, uh, the fan base hasn't been very happy. They haven't won a lot of games at home, haven't won a lot of games, period. Uh, do you feel pressure this year, players, coaches, franchise, that, that this team has to deliver obviously a lot more in the coming season than they have in the last few? Well, I think you feel that every year. Uh, you know, every year, I think every team's goals go out and win the Great Cup, right? But we know there's a process into getting there and the process to um, being able to get to that point as far as getting to the Great Cup. So uh, we've got to take our first steps and not worry about the Great Cup. You know, it's about, like you said before, it's about winning games. It's about putting out a great product uh, for this organization, for this community. I mean, th this community deserves wins. I mean, at the end of the day, we, you know, I think the last great cup was in 15 when I was there with Coach Jones. So uh, I think we're on the right track, though. Uh, you, like you said before, you can see that we've signed a lot of great talent on offense as well. I think the defense is starting to come together as well. Coach Jones out there being the bushes right now, trying to sign players. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, how fast we can gel and, and getting off to a fast start.
I think we saw it last year a little bit. It's a pretty thin line sometimes between winning and losing and success and not having success in a season. I mean, you go all the way back to week one last year and you can't punch it in from the one on, on you know, first and goal or, or drop balls or certain plays that, that cost you games and all of a sudden it snowballs. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, you know, I guess I look at it with a little jaded sunglasses a little bit here, but you seem to be, despite winning only four games last year, you're closer than I think a lot of people think you are to turn in the corner. We were in a lot of those games. And then even uh, when you go back to look, as far as at the end when I took over, I think there was a lot of games that we had leads. Uh, either at the beginning of the game, we would have big leads or we would have leads going into the fourth quarter. So it's just about, you know, trying to learn how to finish. Um, you know, I think we had one of the youngest teams made of first and second year players that I've ever been a part of. And so, um, you know, hopefully we've gone through uh, some of those growing pains uh, these last year, especially, but more so in the past two years. Hopefully, we've gone through those growing pains, and this year we can come out and make amends for it. All right. Uh, we talked about the NFL earlier. Uh, Sunday, uh, February 11th, one week from tomorrow, is uh, the Super Bowl game, Kansas City and San Francisco. Uh, break it down for me. Uh, who's going to win? Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, boy. Enough said. Yeah, he's, uh, he, just, he just wins, right? <laughs> he just wins. I mean, if you look at his – I think I saw a stat somewhere where they showed uh, the first six years between uh, Brady and him. And, uh, and I mean, it's pretty much identical. I think Brady may have one more Super Bowl than uh, Patrick. I think the thing that stood out to me most, though, was I think Patrick almost had about 100 more touchdowns he's thrown at this point and 20 less interceptions than Brady. But, uh, you know, I think Patrick is that next guy. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see uh, those guys losing this game. Yeah, I think the, the biggest difference in that comparison I saw, too, is the head-to-head games. Brady won three. He's 3-0 three yes. in those games. That's and the you're, only difference. You're, but you're, Mahomes, exactly he's right. on his way to becoming all-time, just legendary. Oh, he's on his way to becoming legendary, no doubt. And you're exactly right. I think that was the biggest stat was that, you know, those few that he has lost, it's been to, to, to the GOAT, to Tom Brady. Uh, there you have it. All things offense from Elks offensive coordinator Jarius Jackson and even his pick for the Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this is a big week coming up for the Canadian Football League and for its free agents. The negotiation window opens tomorrow, as we like to call it, the legal tampering period. Uh, it's for pending free agents, and it means they can start talking to teams ahead of free agency. They can talk money, they can talk style, where they fit in on teams, and they can get a read from coaches and GMs about how they will play. Uh, They'll even have an opportunity to tour facilities if they so choose. It's going to create a lot of buzz for the CFL, and it will lead to some deals being made eventually. Now, here's how it works. For a week, players can talk to teams. Teams can make binding offers to players. When the negotiation window closes, which is a week from tomorrow, teams will then have 48 hours of exclusivity to talk with their own parents free agents. Tuesday, February 13th at 10 a.m. our time, free agency will open. And shortly after that, they'll start to announce deals. Uh, still some pretty big names out there without contracts, and it looks like they will hit the free agent market. Uh, the Elks list is pretty small for their pending free agents. They've done a really good job re-upping who they want back. But they still have a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball that they need to lock up. Uh, defensive lineman A.C. Leonard, who had 12 sacks and 45 defensive tackles last year, also chipped in two 
receptions with a touchdown on offense. Uh, Leonard's value certainly went up with the departure of Jake Ceresna. Also still to be signed, linebacker Tony Jones, who got a couple of starts last year and will push for a starting job in the linebacking core in 2024, wherever he plays. Uh, more on free agency coming up on next week's show. Uh, that's it for this week. Our thanks again to Elks Offensive Coordinator Jarius Jackson for taking time to talk to us uh, this week. My name is Morley Scott. Thanks for being here. We'll see you in seven days' time for more Elks and CFL talk on the Elks This Week on 630 Chet.